grace, mercy, and peace from our Creator, our Savior, Jesus Christ, and our Sustainer, the Holy Spirit, to you now and always. Amen. Oh my goodness, it happened again. Someone trying to take advantage of your goodwill by creating a bogus email account and sent out this ridiculous message. So some of you probably saw this. It reads, how are you? I need a favor from you. Please email me back as soon as possible. Hope you hear, hope to hear from you soon, Pastor Randy Schrader. Oh my goodness. Now a couple of you contacted me. Thank you. And then Aaron, our office administrator, sent out a notice right afterwards warning everyone that that's not me and it happened again. Somebody's impersonating me. I've said and in an attempt to guard ourselves against such falsehoods, I have made you the promise that I will not ask for help, especially for funds or money via email. If OSLC, if we are in a position of requiring money or in need of a favor, I will ask you in person or call you on the phone. We will make an announcement from the council or a church announcement somehow, but it will be in a way that we can assure the integrity of whatever that ask is and the favor that you need to provide. But as we move forward with technology, a way to know if an email is actually from me is to check the email sender, right? This, this hacker was clever. They, they created an email account under my name, church at gmail.org. That's not my email, folks. Mine is randy at osluth.org. They get, they're getting pretty smart. But I ask you to keep diligent. Keep testing the emails you receive, supposedly from me. Now, first by reading the email, of course, and asking if the context of the email sounds right. Does this sound like something that might that I might say or even ask over an email and I've just said that I won't ask for money over the email so don't pay attention to it. And then second, check the source of the email. Is it from my Osluth account? Ask where does that email originate? And as we experience the complexities of our world today, we are to be diligent in asking the same questions about any information we receive. And because we are followers of Christ, and because we know that a time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near, God's kingdom is here now. As Scripture tells us, and as Pastor Kristen reminded us last week, we are called to test, to keep asking questions about God's kingdom as well. Does this sound like something God would ask us to do where does the information we receive from the many social media outlets that we have and news stations, is it true? We hear in Deuteronomy that God will raise up other prophets after Moses who will continue to proclaim God's word and guide the Israelites. God said to Moses, I will raise up for them, a prophet like you from among their own people. I will put my words in the mouth of the prophet who shall speak to them everything 
that I command. And then included these cautions. If anyone who does not heed the words that the prophet shall speak in my name, I myself will hold accountable. But any prophet who speaks in the name of other gods or who presumes to speak in my name, a word that I have not commanded the prophet to speak, that prophet will die. We're good. We're good. <laughs> Through the prophet Moses, God is putting us on notice, right? We should test the words we hear from prophets or other places to determine if they are of God and love or if they are from fear and manipulation. And frankly, that gets really complicated because there's a wide spectrum between all the polarities of our world today. Now look at the example we get in 1 Corinthians, an example of how this can get so complicated. In verse 1b through 3, we hear, we know that all of us possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Anyone who claims to know something does not yet have the necessary knowledge, but anyone who loves God is known by God. Now, it's always important to look at the context. Paul is writing this to inform the church in Corinth that they are not to eat the food, mainly the meat, but all food others bring as sacrifices to God. Because if those who brought the sacrifices see the others taking it and eating it, they might assume that God is not receiving their gift, their sacrifice, which to them would threaten God's allegiance to them. Even though Paul's audience has the knowledge that God's love is not based on sacrifices, God's love is promised to all people. But Paul is reminding them, those in Corinth, that they should not take or eat other sacrifices. Rather, by leaving the sacrifices alone, one is showing love to the neighbor, which will lead to trust and understanding. For Paul, love trumps knowledge, even when knowledge is absolutely correct. And Paul has a point. Yet, knowing, actual knowing of something requires a subject and an object. Love overcomes the distance between subject and object. With knowledge, lives are observed, they're studied, they're understood. But with love, however, lives are shared and true fellowship and relationship is experienced. Now, saying all that, no one is asking us to check our brains at that door and blindly believe everything that we hear, well, most of it, of our, you know, coming through the sanctuary. We need knowledge. And I trust that God is calling us to be aware more than anything else. To use our gift of knowledge in conjunction with the love that God shares with us, realizing that we are to lean into that love a little bit more because without checking knowledge with love, harm can and will be done. You might have seen someone like this who is not paying attention to God's gift of knowledge and love. If you can't read that sign, it says, the COVID vaccine is a delayed response depopulation bioweapon. Those who don't truly repent 
to God for taking it will not be saved. Short window. Then the sign at the bottom says, forever is too long to be wrong. Matthew 7, verse 21 through 23, which ironically talks about self-deception and is actually preceded by verse 15, which states, beware of false prophets. Now, I debated on whether to use this person as an example in my sermon. I had to check my motivation. I don't mean to make fun of this individual, but I believe that this is an example of what it looks like when one's misunderstanding of biblical knowledge stands in the way of love. I also think that this individual is doing exactly what they believe God is calling them to do. This person is committed. I mean, no one stands on the corner in frigid temperatures for hours without being dedicated to one's faith. Yet this is why today's message is so important. We are called to test the words, the policies, the leaders, the ministries with whom we interact, even our own thoughts, to determine if they are of God and love or if they are of fear and manipulation. In our gospel today, we heard that Jesus enters the temple on the Sabbath. He begins to teach, and everyone is astounded. Astounded because Jesus is teaching as one with authority and not as the scribes. What makes Jesus' teaching one of authority? Well, we know it's not like teaching as the scribes. And how do they teach? One would guess that because they were scribes, they would recite what they had scribed. The scribes had the scholarship and the education, but Jesus taught with authority. Jesus interprets the scriptures as one who has the right to say what it means. Furthermore, his teaching has no need for any external support, whether from scripture or elsewhere. His words, his word is self-authenticating, not like that of the scribes. Jesus represents the authority of God. So along comes the Son of God who is interpreting the Holy Scriptures. Jesus is the one that says the kingdom of God has come near. Change your ways and believe in the good news. The good news that God is with you. That you are worthy of God's love. And soon you will know exactly how much. Then entering the temple is a man with an unclean spirit. In Jesus, we have the Holy One of God. And in contrast, we have this man with an unclean spirit. And this guy wants to stir things up with fear and manipulation. He cries out in Mark chapter 1, verse 24. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. He cries out naming Jesus as if to have some type of advantage by doing so. And then asking these accusatory questions. What have you to do with us? Have you come to destroy us? And this is where my Bible brain goes a little crazy noticing this stuff because this man is all by himself. He has written or he has an unclean spirit, not spirits, but spirit, singular, 
But everything written and everything written to describe him is in a singular tense, yet he's asking about us. So my idea, my theory is that he is trying to associate with this group in the synagogue and take advantage of the group's astonishment. The unclean spirit is threatened by the truth and love that Jesus has shown through the authority of God and therefore is trying to start trouble by exploiting the fear that might come along with those, those people's astonishment. Political leaders and talking heads do this all the time. They exploit people's fears by creating the us and them scenario. Those possessed by unclean spirits say things like, they are going to destroy us. I'm one of you, but they are not. And what, that, what will they have to do with us? So Jesus rebukes him. He doesn't persecute him or oppress him. Jesus, in his loving way, is not against the man himself, but yet the unclean spirit. He is pointing out the unclean spirit that needs to be silent. And he says so. And he orders that unclean spirit to come out of him. We are called to test the words, the policies, the leaders, the ministries with whom we interact, even our own thoughts, to determine if they are of God and love or if they are of fear and manipulation. This man with the unclean spirit was not alone in listening to the voices in his head that spread lies, lies such as we are alone, we are not worthy, we are not one body altogether. We are better off without diversity of others. Each of us deal with lies of unclean spirits within ourselves, the internal thoughts that tell us that we are not worthy, that we are bad. Therefore, we can justify telling others that they also are not worthy or they are bad. But God's voice, loving voice, is always calling you to say you are worthy, you are loved. We hear the voices of unclean spirits externally and internally. That is why we are to be diligent in asking, first, does this sound like something Jesus, who has the authority of God, might say to us? And second, check the source. Where does this voice originate? Is it from God's love or somewhere else? Love builds up and life is better in community. You know, at each baptism and affirmation of baptism, we always, as a group, profess our faith using the creed. And we do it every Sunday. But at the baptism's and at our affirmation of baptism services, we ask these three additional questions before we go into our creed. Do you renounce the devil and all the forces that defy God? Do you renounce the powers of the world that rebel against God? Do you renounce the ways of sin that draw you from God? And after each question, the response is, I renounce them. The time is fulfilled 
The kingdom of God has come near. Repent, turn, turn around, change our ways of thinking so that they reflect God's love and grace and forgiveness. And though change is scary, God keeps God's promises to love, to love, to love, to love. Love all creation and bring justice and peace. Our response to that love is to live into God's kingdom, leaning into that love with the knowledge that God gives us, remembering that love builds up and life is better in community. Thanks be to God. Amen.